Hey, welcome back to the Workday Cafe. In this first episode, I'll take you through my rationale of starting this project, an explanation of how the S&P 500 index works, and my valuations of Apple, Paycom, Fortinet, and Microsoft. Go to WorkdayCafePodcast.com if you're interested in seeing what goes into the evaluations. I hope you enjoy. Like many others, when 9.30 rolls around on a workday, my first instinct is to check which way the market is moving. Apple Finance, Yahoo Finance, and Bloomberg first point you towards the S&P 500 to see if the market is in the green or the red. When the pandemic hit, the markets crashed. Almost every major firm lost billions in a matter of weeks, and millions were out of work. Then, all of a sudden, the market spiked. It was like the stock market just decided it didn't care about something that was still getting worse by the day. Although the markets are now starting to stabilize, the question still stuck with me. What changed on Monday, March 23rd that caused an almost 15% gain in a matter of days? The Federal Reserve feeding money into the economy helped, but people were still frantically looking for a safe spot to grow their investments. That's when tech companies entered the scene. Having revenue that wasn't directly impacted by social distancing, and maintaining solid numbers because the unemployment rate hadn't impacted their customers yet, the tech giants like Facebook, Microsoft, and Apple looked like a safe investment for the future. With so many now putting what little money they had left or were getting from the government programs into these companies, they started to dominate the market. They also started to dominate the first place people look to see if the market is going up or down, the S&P 500. This index has a floating market weighting system, meaning that when the big tech companies started to rise in price, the S&P 500 turned green, very green. So in a holistic way of looking at it, people's belief in the future brought the, the economy out of a crash. The problem with this whole story is that it's not over yet. People are still dying every day, the unemployment rate is still high, and the actual value of the economy is a toss-up. That's why I'm so interested in the S&P 500, an index, an index that is the first place people look to see how the market is doing. This index could be changing the market more than the market changing the index, and in turn, creating a bubble. To figure out if there is a bubble, I plan on evaluating every company that's part of this index to see if the market is in line with the economy. But first, let me explain what the S&P 500 500 index is and how it works. The S&P 500 index is a collection of practically 500 stocks. Currently, there's 505 because some companies have subsidiaries that um, make up that extra five. But to get into the S&P 500, there are some barriers. And as you'll see by the end, there's a committee that can overrule the barriers, but let's start with the, the basics. So to qualify for the index, a company must be in the United States and have an unadjusted market cap of at least 8.2 billion. At least 50% of the corporation's stock must be available to the public and its stock price must be at least $1 per share or something that's reasonable. It must file a 10K annual report 
And finally, it must have at least four consecutive quarters of positive earnings. That last one is the one that Tesla actually just beat uh, in order to uh, be an option for the S&P 500. Uh, also, it must be listed on the New York Stock Exchange, Investors Exchange, NASDAQ, or the BATS Global Markets. Um, to give you some stats about the S&P 500, um, as of June 2020, the total market cap of the S&P was $25.64 trillion. It captured almost 80% of the market cap of the stock market. And the whole reason of having this smaller index is one, to see how the market is doing in terms of large companies, but also it allows people without millions of dollars that can't um, buy individual stocks of these companies to get into the stock market. It, that allows them to diversify their stock market, their portfolio so much more than they could otherwise. So getting back to this committee, the committee um, that works at Standard & Poor um, looks at all of these companies and rebalances the index every March, June, September, and December. When looking at adding or getting rid of stocks, they look at some factors. They look at their the company's liquidity, size, industry, and how well it represents the economy of the U.S. And to look at some of the, uh, the breakdown of its industry, the S&P 500 has a large weighting in technology. As I said uh, previously, it's a um, market-weighted system. So these tech giants are making up 24.4% of the whole index. Uh, healthcare comes a close second. Obviously now because of the pandemic, those stocks are shooting up. It makes up 14% and the financial, financial institutions make up 12.2% and finally communication services with 10.7. All of the rest are under 10%. So, now that we have an understanding of the S&P 500, let's get into what is currently the highest weighted company on the index, Apple. Apple is now the most valuable publicly traded company globally, passing Saudi Arabia's owned Saudi Aramco. But is the company really worth its market cap? Apple has been a global uh, information technology device focused powerhouse since the early 2000s and has created an ecosystem of software and hardware that keep customers dependent, but also satisfied. The line of iPhones is Apple's major revenue earner, but the company has vertically integrated and is very successful in its other segments, ranging from wearable technology to many services it produces, it provides. Its customers uh, are primarily in the consumer, small and mid-sized business, education, enterprise, and government markets. Uh, and the revenues come major uh, from the Americas as a majority. 44.9% come from the Americas. The second largest is Europe with 23.2% and uh, third smallest is from Greater China with 16.8%. This kind of makes sense because Apple is a luxury priced item, um, these countries have the greatest uh, wealth, uh, so it makes sense why this money would trickle down. Um, so Apple currently trades on NASDAQ, on the NASDAQ 
as AAPL and currently has a price around 440. Um, its revenue um, its revenue is extremely cyclical and every time a new product is released the revenue spikes but then the remainder of the year the revenue is quite dormant. Um, this is true for its products like the, the Mac, the iPad and the iPhone but for its its um, other big revenue uh, maker, the services and wearables and home and accessories lines, the revenue is a bit more consistent. Um, this makes sense because uh, in terms of Apple Music and uh, as many other Apple services it provides, um, there's no grand releases. It's kind of, it's in the market and it's ready for people to use. So in terms of some of Apple's strengths and weaknesses, um, I found that it has high customers' expectations. Uh, over the past years, obviously it's released some things that are uh, futuristic. And if similar to the Note, the Samsung Note, if they fail and have a product that's not as good, customers don't always have a long, um, a long history, that a long memory that they can um, go back to. So, similar to this note, this note case where it blew up and customers wanted to switch pro um, switch products, switch brands because of it. If Apple has a bad product, it could devastate their entire business. Um, their high price and their competition on all fronts of their revenue streams is a concern going forward. So now looking at what I found it to be worth through a DCF, a discount cash flow, I saw I found it to be worth $374.64, 63 cents rather. So $374. In terms of its industry and financial relative valuations, I found it to the industry relative valuation to be $223.67, and its financial relative valuation, surprisingly, was $646.12, much higher. So after reconciling their share price, I estimate that it came to about $410, and when comparing um, Apple's current share price of around 440 I put in a whole recommendation. Um, I see a lot of good things happening with Apple, specifically because of the pandemic's boost of the tech companies, uh, and I still have a trust that the company will be able to continue its, its growth into the future, maybe not at the exact same rate as it has in the past, but at a very healthy rate for investors. Let's now move over to Paycom Inc. It's a cloud-based human capital management solution firm that provides end-to-end -end SaaS HCM software. So its main business is in terms of payroll software and helps out with HR services. Uh, so yes, the majority of its revenue is from this payroll software, um, but it, it also has vertically integrated in HR. Um, to include almost all of the HR capabilities. Uh, 
so looking at its customers, it's, it's trying to range its customers from small, medium, and large companies uh, that are looking to better their employees' uh, software and HR experience. So taking a look at Paycom's specific revenue lines, their reoccurring revenue is by far the greatest and by far their most um, profitable uh, product. Although the implementation in other section um, is uh, significant, it's not at all even close to their reoccurring revenue. So businesses that like their service seem to stay with it um, and um, the the amount of new people they're attracting may not be uh, as significant. I'm assuming this because for their implementation and other account, uh, I believe that accounts for what they install into companies. So that being low and reoccurring revenue being high indicates that they used to uh, implement lots of things into companies, but now they're cashing out on that. Um, which doesn't show a great revenue strength in the future, but currently they're in a sweet spot. Um, Paycom Software Inc. or PAC, or PAC currently trades on the New York Stock Exchange and with, has a current price of around $290. Uh, the market cap of it is $16.46 billion and it has a fiscal year end of December 31st. Um, so looking at Paycom uh, through its competition, it seems to be losing market shares in niche niche markets. Um, although it has a healthy stream of that reoccurring revenue, um, it doesn't seem to be going after, and even its future strategies, as it states, it wants to go after matured businesses and not after those niche markets, which could cause uh, an issue going forward. Uh, Paycom is also extremely vulnerable to uh, competition. In terms of its technologies being developed and market disruptors coming in, uh, it's at the forefront of competition wanting to take over its market cap because it's so uh, it because it's so established. That's exactly what every competition is going to be going for in terms of payroll software. So in terms of its DCF price, I found it to be $345. Um, its industry uh, relative valuation to be $183 and its financial relative valuation to be $254. So reconciling those prices, I got a price of $269. So when comparing that to Paycom's current share price of around $290, a sell recommendation is issued. Um, so taking this into account, Paycom has a lot of old things going for it. It's a very mature company that has lots of contacts in the major corporations, but it doesn't seem to be growing at a pace that it used to. And to see any exponential growth they'd have to branch into new revenue streams. And uh, I just don't see that happening in the uh, current economy that we're in. So now moving over to another major software company. Well, let's take a look at Fortinet. So Fortinet's a multinational leading cybersecurity company um, that is 
that has expanded its products range to provide protection against almost all possible intellectual property security risks. So vertically integrating, similar to Paycom. Um, so looking at their company's revenue, it's very stable um, as a result of its payment structure uh, consisting of contracts and subscriptions and its commitment and success consistently decreasing its cost of revenues uh, shows that it could be a big help and in the future that could really uh, save it when it's become much more mature. An interesting fact about Fortinet is that it maintains almost zero debt. So I've looked into that and it seems that it has very few uh, releases about that fact. I've tried to think about it, maybe there's um, some conflict of interest that it doesn't want to deal with so that it can work with any company or that it wants to be um, it wants to be stable during a uh, economically uncertain time so that investors can think of it as a safe place. Um, this one aspect of it is quite interesting and we'll see how it works out in the future and possibly could be a business model for other companies that are uh, generating lots of money, lots of revenue, but uh, are still in its same position. So looking at its customers, uh, they range over 80 countries and include small and medium-sized businesses, large enterprises, and government organizations. Um, they uh, account for lots of industries, telecommunications, government, financial services, retail, technology, education, manufacturing, and healthcare. Uh, Fortinet seems to be a very um, pliable software that works in almost all industries and helps any company in any, any industry protect its online intellectual property. Um, so 40% of its uh, revenue is made in the Americas, 38% in the large Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and finally 20% Asia Pacific. Um, this is a, a neat example of a company that doesn't always um, um, it doesn't always go with every single barrier that the S&P 500 index uh, puts out, but it's still on the index. It must have been chosen by the committee to be of value and represented representation of the U.S. economy. So Fortinet Inc. FTNT trades on the NASDAQ and it has a current share price of around $140 and a market cap of around $22.1 billion. Its fiscal year end is December 31st. So its, its most profitable, profitable segments, revenue segments, is from its products. Um, these are all mainly uh, security products and uh, and gates that it puts up for companies to to make sure there's no leaks or um, possible security threats. Um, the company the company's DCF that I found came to one hundred and forty four dollars, close to one hundred and forty five rather. Um, what the industry relative relative valuation came to was $108, and its financial relative valuation came to $168. Um, after reconciling those prices, I came to $141, 
And when comparing to Fortnite's current share price of around $140, I would say a hold recommendation is issued. Fortnite is a company that's very, very, very secure um, and having zero debt, um, meaning that what most people, how most people will calculate its market risk, its beta, would be one, exactly the same as market risk, um, shows that it's um, a very stable uh, stock in comparison to the market. But I've seen that it's started to, it's, Revenue streams have started to slow, um, and it doesn't have any innovation that will put it above any other company. So if there are industry disruptors or other comp other big tech companies that decide to develop their own major uh, security um, section and then start selling that, it could be a huge, yeah, it could take a huge cut of Fortinet's market share. All right, now let's finish off with Microsoft. Being a company with such a wide product range, it's a extremely interesting company to look at. So as a leading software company, Microsoft has securely integrated itself into the workplace of nearly every minor and major business. Its global approach and continuous efforts to, con to innovate has allowed for reliable revenue segments and constant or decreasing operating expenses. Microsoft's customers uh, include individual customers, small and medium-sized organizations, large global enterprises, public sector institutions, internet providers, application developers, and original equipment manufacturers. Microsoft spans almost everybody. Anyone in the world could be a customer of Microsoft. They only break their revenue into two segments, the United States and other countries. And as we can see, the United States makes up the majority with 64 billion, while other countries have uh, only 61 billion. Um, Microsoft trades as MSFT on the NASDAQ and has a current sh share price of around $210 and has a market cap of around $154 trillion. Microsoft's largest revenue stream comes in around $45 billion in 2019 was the personal, more personal computing line. That includes Windows, Surface, HoloLens, Xbox Gaming, and Bing. Coming to second uh, was Microsoft's productivity and business processes uh, revenue segment. That includes Visual Studios, Windows Services, Windows Servers, rather, and Azure. And finally, their Intelligent Cloud section comes up with their third uh, largest revenue stream with Windows Office, Skype, LinkedIn, and Dynamics. To look at some opportunities that Microsoft is looking at, their intelligent cloud revenue segment has seen exponential growth and could be Microsoft's next cash cow. Um, currently, it's, its 2019 to 2018 revenue growth was 21%, uh, but if they continue the five-year historical um, exponential growth that I've seen, it could be their next, their largest revenue stream within uh, uh, the next four years. Looking at its discounted cash flow, Microsoft uh, came to $272. Uh, its industry relative valuation came to 203 and its financial relative valuation came to 191 So 
reconciling those prices, I got a price of $227. And when comparing that to Microsoft's current share price of 200, around $200, $210, a buyer recommendation is issued. Obviously because of this pandemic, we've seen massive growth of tech companies, but Microsoft is one that is used by everybody, um, working or not. And with the amount of new, new industries, or new companies rather, that are entering the market, new startups, because of this uh, downturn on employees, the unemployment rate, uh, Microsoft will see more customers when it comes to small businesses. And in that way, it'll even continue to rise past its expectations. So to quickly summarize the stocks I've been talking about today, Apple and Fortinet, I would suggest a hold. Microsoft, I would suggest I buy. And Paycom, as a mature aging company, I would say sell. Now that I've done evaluations on some of the larger companies, it'll be interesting to see how some of the less no lesser known companies, the smaller companies, stack up and see if they back up my theory that the S&P 500 is determining what the market is like as opposed to the market determining what the S&P 500 is like. I would like to thank my server, Kristen, Amara for the music, and you for listening to the first episode of the Workday Cafe. If you'd like to learn more about the evaluations I mentioned and see the data behind my decisions, head over to workdaycafepodcast.com. I'll see you next Tuesday to continue this journey into the stock market. Oh, 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 oh,